Welcome to Season 3 of Lean Startup Company Podcast Series. I'm Heather McGough, co-founder of Lean Startup Company. We are a business education company serving a growing community of entrepreneurs and corporate innovators. We produce webcasts, podcasts, events, and offer live and virtual lean startup training in the enterprise. Whether you're building a high-growth tech startup, a mobile app, a piece of hardware, working in a nonprofit, or a large bureaucratic organization, Adapting Lean Startup methodology can help support continuous innovation and sustainable growth. Today's guest is Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Mamie is the founder and CEO of Meteor. Meteor helps leverage meetings to drive productivity, build a healthy company culture, and achieve greater results. Their solutions include web and mobile apps, coaching, and skill-building workshops. Meteor helps you spend less time in unproductive meetings and more time moving work forward. Mamie, thank you for being with us here today. Thank you so much for having me. I've been a listener for a long time, and I'm excited to finally get to uh, to share my story. Let's start with how you got to the point of pivoting to form what is now Meteor. How did it happen? So I'm going to start by taking you way, 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 way back. Um, so shortly after college, I went to work in my family's business, which is Gojo. We, our big kind of claim to fame is we are the inventors of Purell hand sanitizer. And yes, it's a wonderful product. You should all be using it. Um, so I pretty much got all of my business education for many years and my kind of formative years by working in the context of my family business. And when I left and uh, started working in nonprofit, I was shocked that this was not how everybody worked. I had kind of grown up in a space where people always used best practices. They followed consistent processes that were across the company. Um, And that just became like the way that I worked. And when I realized that other teams didn't work this way, I was really surprised um, because most of the practices are not so unusual. They're just not followed. Um, And so I wanted to start a business to help other organizations bring these great practices into their organizations. And the first kind of gap that I saw in the market was around project strategies. So there are tons and tons and tons of product management tools. And many of them are very, very good at organizing your thinking around milestones and tasks and resources. But the place that was missing and something that my family business did very, very well was around why are we even doing this project to begin with? How do we get everybody on the team really aligned and bought in to what this project is about? What are the watchouts we should be paying attention to? What assumptions are we making? What does success really look like? And doing that kind of initial thinking, not just as a manager, but with the whole team, so that when you get to creating your project plan, it's the right plan with the right timeline and the right resources. So I followed some lean startup principles and built a very, very skinny MVP product, got it out the door, got some early feedback, and learned a lot about uh, kind of what makes a product, a new type of product work and had one conversation that totally changed the direction of Meteor. We went from project strategy into meetings and I'm happy to share. Yes. What what was that conversation? Do share. So we started, um, one of the big takeaways, one of the big learnings we had after having 
uh, kind of four early customers was that this kind of chartering process, this strategy process worked really, really well when I was consulting with it. Um, we had a tech tool. I came in. I helped the organizations um, mm-hmm. use the technology, walked them through the charter, and uh, trained them and facilitated them. Once I left and they had to do it on their own, it was suddenly like, whoa, this is way too much work. Uh, we'd only really use this for really big projects. We wouldn't use this kind of in an ongoing way. Um, and so I decided to look for consultants to be partners with us. Maybe we'd have some channel partners. They could then take this product to their customers as they were doing their consulting work. So I started talking and to consultants. I spoke to, oh gosh, I don't know how many, quite a few, about how they use technology with their clients, um, what kind of consulting they do. Um, I showed them our product to, to see if this is something they'd be interested in. And they all said the same thing this is amazing. Our customers totally need this. You know, this kind of gap totally exists. It's one of the reasons why we have to come in and be consultants and help a strategy because it's not, it's not clear enough. But I don't bring technology to my customers. I don't consult on project management. Uh, this is a very niche thing. And I can see why people have a struggle using it without a consultant. So I, like, it just doesn't feel like something I would do. Which was very sad. <laughs> I was very heartbroken. I was like, oh no, did I really put all this energy and money and time into building a product that is going to just go nowhere? Um, especially when I knew the practices were so valuable. And one consultant I spoke to um, said something that changed our life. So part of the, the strategy tool had a little skinny meeting piece because meetings are part of projects. And so we built out a very, very, very tiny little meeting component to the process. And um, this one consultant said, this meeting tool though, like that I could sell to my clients. Like they're so messed up in so many ways that just having an agenda for their meetings would change their company. I was like, oh, this is interesting. I had never even thought about that. And that set me on this path of investigating meetings, which I had no idea were such a big problem. So before we get into the the product features and and the customers, can you first tell me how did you build your team and what roles did it consist of in, in the beginning and then moving forward? Yeah. So in the very, very beginning, it consisted of me and me. Um, I did everything, which is pretty typical for a solo founder. And I, I do have a co-founder who is my sister, but she's more of a business advisor role than a day-to-day partner. Um, I'm not a technology person, so I knew I needed a technologist, but I do have an arts background. So I, I felt pretty confident that I could kind of hack together our UX and our visual design, um, especially when we're talking about building something skinny and just that minimum viable product, get it out the door, spend as little money as possible, as little time um, or kind of only the amount of time that you really need. So I did basically everything except for the technology. So the first people that I looked for was a technology partner and I found a wonderful product manager and a lead uh, engineer, a system architect. And the three of us uh, took it from there. Um, we needed a product manager because I don't speak tech and my tech partner, as wonderful as he is, doesn't speak business. So we needed someone to help translate what we were doing. And I really needed someone who would push back and say, 
do you really need it like that? Like, how important is this? Because uh, I didn't really understand how complicated something could be to build. And my technology partner wasn't always, uh, at least in the beginning, so forthcoming and saying, like, that's not that's going to be really, really hard to build um, because we were, it wasn't partners. We weren't founders. They were, um, they were teammates. They, they were there to do a job um, at least in the beginning because they didn't know where this was going. Um, but once we kind of got that MVP product out the door, got those early customers and we felt like together, Oh, we have, we've really actually created something here. Maybe we, we have something. Um, they joined in a more full-time capacity Um and my first kind of real hire after that was a change management specialist. And this might be unusual for most teams, especially in a startup, uh, to bring somebody on whose whole job is focused on change management. But one of the things that I learned at Gojo and my time there is the importance around behavior change. So with something like Purell hand sanitizer, when that first came out, no one had even imagined that you could, quote, wash your hands without water. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of change that has to go into creating new behaviors around hand washing. And because I grew up with that kind of experience in the background, I applied the same thinking to my business. We're, t we're thinking about how people plan projects and if they're, they don't even know there's a problem. It's like they, I had to kind of explain to people, you have this problem, which is why your projects are going off track, which is why your team members aren't in alignment. It's because you're, you're not doing good strategy work. So I knew that there was a lot of change management, behavior change, kind of emotional and psychological change that was going to go into getting people to use this tool and to have new behaviors around projects. So I wanted somebody who really understood change management. I mean, I, I've done a lot of research and reading on it, but it's not my, you know, it's not my specialty. So I wanted someone to really sit with me and work beside me to think about how do we get people to adopt new technology? How do we get them to adopt new ways of working and new ways of thinking regardless of a technology solution? Um, and so she, she joined us a little less than a year after we started. So let's switch gears a little bit. I want to hear, how did you decide what features to build and in what priority order? And maybe you can walk us through an example. You know, what was the original idea and, and how did you turn it into a product feature? Great. So I'm going to talk about the meeting product that we're at now and not and try to not go back too far in time into the strategy project, if that's okay. Yeah. So with the meeting tool... Um, and actually with all with with a lot of what we were doing we started from the templates that gojo used so this is one of the things that i loved about uh, lean startup when i first read the book was that do everything manually if you can before you invest in building because you want to make sure that you you know worked out some of the kinks that what you have actually kind of performs and gojo was basically like the place that was experimenting in paper with all of these things so they have Word documents that are a template that have the whole agenda and this whole note-taking section, and they have a whole process for how it gets used. And um, one of the things that they do is for every new meeting that's part of a project or a team that has ongoing work, they take the prior agenda, they do a save as, they empty out all the agenda information, they add all the new agenda information, and then they take notes at the bottom. So all of the old notes get compiled into a single 
long, like basically a 30-page document over time. So all of the notes from every meeting from that team are on one single Word document, which is great when you want to find something and you can just open up the most recent meeting notes, do a control F and find everywhere that a certain word is listed. Not so great when you're like, you know, you have all of these giant Word documents um, and you're trying to kind of keep everything up to date and you're tracking uh, tasks and follow-ups and things like that. Um, but we knew that it worked. We knew that overall having all of your notes on one page instead of having to go meeting by meeting to figure out where was that decision made and who was in that meeting and all those things um, was was really useful. So that's the way that we built our tool. We said, this is the practice. We've learned kind of what makes it unique and what makes it special. So with our tool, we built out a similar kind of note-taking experience where for each meeting, you take your notes, but you basically kind of tag them. You can tag it as a decision or a learning or a task. And when you do that, um, it now is going to aggregate with all of the other content of its type. So if you want to look at, see, what decisions has our, um, you know, our mobile app team made, I can go to the mobile app team on Meteor and click on the decisions tab and see every decision from every meeting that that team has had. So we kind of, we got the best of both worlds. We took what they were doing on paper and said, let's make this into a technology, but let's take it to the next step. And let's make it, let's leverage what technology can do that a Word document can't. Um, and in terms of kind of prioritizing, because I had worked in this environment, I, I had a lot of firsthand experience about which were the features or kind of what were the pieces that were most valuable. So we did kind of a combination between what I internally kind of felt was important. We talked to some people at Gojo to understand what they felt was really the value. Um, and then we got it out to customers and asked people what's working and what's not. So, uh, yeah, obviously, I think about, you know, my team, we've tried Basecamp and Asana and Trello and, and Google Docs and Workflowy and really looking for something that is fairly simple and intuitive, captures all of the information you're talking about, the decisions, the learning, the, the tasks. Um, so next question, then, how did you find your customers? You know, how did you find the people like me who um, maybe knew we knew, needed something? But also those people who, um, you know, you were sort of hunting for that, that didn't know they needed you. Yeah. A lot of word of mouth. Um, I feel like that's what you have to do when you're kind of hustling. It's like tell everybody that you meet what you do and get them excited. And the good thing with meetings, so it was a little bit different with the, the project strategy tool. With that, I would talk to a lot of people and I'd get a lot of blank stares. Like, what are you doing? How is this different than Basecamp or something else? And it was like, not great. Once we pivoted to meetings and I would tell people, I make a tool that helps teams have effective meetings. It, it was like a flow of, oh my gosh, I, this meeting I was in was so terrible. And oh my God, can you help me with this? And how do you do that? It, it, just like the response was completely different, which was another kind of signal that we were on a, onto a better track. Um, and being really diligent about following up with everybody who says, oh my gosh, our meetings are so terrible. I'm like, yes, yes, let me help you. Um, and not being afraid that our product is not ready or underbuilt or won't meet their needs. Like it's, 
that's been a big thing is just talking to as many people as possible. Um, and then we do a lot of other things now around writing our blog and trying to share content was we think that our tool is helpful because it facilitates best practices, but you don't need our tool to actually follow them. So we want to help educate people because, you know, it's, these are practices that will save us so much time and so much energy and so much stress and so much time and energy is wasted in meetings and it just, just doesn't need to be that way. So we, uh, we try and promote stuff on Twitter and other places to get people to come back and, and sign up. So uh, before we talk about pricing, I, I'm actually going to, um, I guess I can only imagine what an important role meetings play in the cycle of learning. You know, how did you, you're talking to customers, how did you track that customer feedback and learnings from that product cycle? Yeah. So we ask our customers a lot um, about what they like, what they don't like, what they wish it did. Um, I, if they give me their phone number, I will pick up the phone and call them. Um, we check in my email because we really want to hear because we know that customers really know best. Um, they're the ones who are using it in real life. And as much as we can do kind of user testing and stuff ahead of time, it's not the same as real life experience. So um, anytime people give us feedback, we we have a spreadsheet that we tally it in. So the more people that say something, the higher that item goes onto our priority list. And we look at all different kinds of pieces like, is this request like a one-off kind of thing that maybe is unique to this industry or to this particular role or even this particular person? Um, or is this something that a lot of our customers could benefit from? Is this going to take a lot of time to develop or is it going to be super fast and, and easy and have minimum impact on the rest of the tool? I mean, some things that I think seem so simple actually have cascading effects. So we try and balance um, making our customers happy and, and being responsive with what's kind of best for the overall product roadmap. Um, and, and sometimes that's a little bit hard. And so we come up with hacks. We do a lot of like, oh, you want to have recurring meetings? Well, let us tell you how to do that. You can send a Google invite with a recurring meeting, and then you can build a template in Meteor. And between the two things, you can basically get you know, close enough. So we also try and look for solutions that meet our customers' needs that are kind of the more manual way if we can't do it through our own technology. Um, the other thing that happens is that learnings really happen across the board. So they happen through customer feedback. They happen through the user research that we're doing um, and observations. And they happen through reading different materials online. Like There's so much that's written about meetings. And finding a way to kind of contain all of that in one place, uh, we have found at least that our tool is one really good way for us to keep track of all those learnings. So as I mentioned before, in the meeting notes, one of the note types is learnings. And it's become a place where if you read a, uh, an article or listen to a podcast and you, you learn something, we say, okay, go into the Meteor tool, into the right project team, put your key takeaway and link to the article or the podcast. Or if you talk to a customer, put that key learning into our Meteor system. And so we've created a kind of a knowledge center within our app that has all of the learnings on different topics so that any team member can go in and, and benefit from that learning. Um, the idea that learnings happen all over the place uh, and kind of knowledge scrap that happens, especially if you have a new team member that comes in, like learnings are so important when you're trying to move fast and you're in a startup world and 
finding a way to kind of contain that is so important. And meetings are one element to that. So many learnings come through the dot connecting that happens in meetings. So we've tried to make it easy to keep all of those learnings together. So after all of this, let's talk about how you determine your pricing. Yeah, pricing. Uh, my least favorite subject in the world. <laughs> Why is that? Uh, because, um, so I went to business school and I took a class in which we talked about pricing. And basically what I learned was that with technology, there is no good way to price. So Everybody wants everything for free. Come on. <laughs> this, is, this is part of it. So we have a society in which software as a service like freemium people want things for free they don't want to pay for software apps um that's really frustrating <laughs> but also traditional forms of pricing where you took what are all your costs of your materials etc and then you mark it up a certain amount like that doesn't work for technology either so there's not really a great way to um to figure out a price a base price point and when you look at your competitors which is another way of pricing what we've seen is that they're relatively low priced, um, in part because of where the market is pushing for, for software as a service pricing. Um, and they're again kind of all over the place in terms of how they price. So it could be um, like for Basecamp, it's the number of projects you have. Um, for other products, it's the number of meetings that you have. For others, it's the number of users. For other, it's it's the amount of storage that you use. There's just lots of different ways um, to manage your pricing. Um, my one big takeaway from that class was that there are really only two prices, free and everything else. Mm. And that really impacted me. And, and in the beginning, um, I know there's some energy around you should charge from day one. Even for an MVP, you should charge. And I took the opposite and said, you know what? I don't want to have any barriers. I just want people to use this and give us feedback. So I'm not going to charge. And last October, we decided we felt ready to start charging. So we looked at a bunch of different ways to price. And at the end of the day, what we decided was we didn't want anyone to ever make a decision about whether they should have a meeting in media or not. We didn't want them to say, mm, this meeting is not that important. Let's not create an agenda there. Let's not take notes there because we only get you know, 20 meetings a month and this was going to be meeting 17 and we might have more important meetings that are coming up. So let's just not use it. That actually goes against the behavior change that we were trying to create. So I think my change management specialist for this in terms of helping me think about what is it that's going to create the behavior change? And part of it is consistency and repetition. So we wanted every meeting you have to be put into media. We wanted just that to be your normal way of working. So we said, okay, we're not going to charge based on the number of meetings. Other options is um, based on how many people you have. And we said, that's great, uh, which is what we ultimately decided to go with. But then it was, do we charge from the very beginning? Do we give you a 30-day free trial? Do we have some free version and forever and then some premium space? And It's users, right? Uh, Is it five more users or something? Exactly. So we ended up at um, five people or less is free. Mm-hmm. When you get to person number six, you start paying. And, that, and then I'll talk about how much and why. So we decided on this model because... We wanted small teams to get to really experience the power of the tool. And while a 30-day free trial can be useful, um, it depends on how frequently your team meets. And it depends on how many people are really engaging with the tool. And we didn't want it to just be one person for free that they could try it out. We really wanted a small team to get some experience and start to get some traction. 
And we made an assumption that if you like it with your small team, it will organically spread to other people within your company because you don't just have meetings with your team. You have meetings with customers. You have meetings that are with other people from different departments. You might have meetings with your board or, you know, kind of just in a variety of different spaces. And so we felt fairly confident that if we allowed five people to start for free, and even if they used it for free for five or six months, eventually, if, if they were really um, dedicated to the tool and felt it was really valuable, others, it would spread to others in their organization and they would go up. So our, our listeners are startup folks, but they're also people from very large, you know, complex organizations. Is there a, a limit to the number of people you recommend use the, the technology? Not at all. Um, it's the way that we have it set up is you create a workspace or a team. So that contains all of the meetings for that group. And you can have as many workspaces as you want. You can have them be public so that they're transparent to anyone in the company. They could click in and see what's going on. Or you can make them private. So if you want to have one-on-ones um, with each of your teammates, you can have a workspace that's a one-on-one for each person and only you and that person can log in and see. You could do the same things for leadership teams or even for bigger projects that you know you don't want so much transparency around. So there's no limit um, we do have some organizations who have different, they've kind of set up different organizations for different departments because they're so large. So they really are different orgs on Meteor, which is also fine if you if your organization is really um, separate like that and there's not a lot of cross work, you can set up separate organizations on Meteor as well. Got it. And so how much should people expect to pay? What, what are the price points? So right now we are charging $5 per person per month, starting at person number six. So when you get to person number six, you actually start at $30 and then you go up from there $5 per person. This is only going to be for the next oh, few months um, until we transition to our kind of big launch phase. So we have a list of features and upgrades that we want to make or that we're kind of in the process of making that will get us to the point where we say, okay, this is it. We have that first version, it's figured out, and we feel really confident in what we're delivering. Up until this point, we ha- we've said, we know we're gonna get, you're going to get value, but you might find something that you really want and it's not here. For example, Google Calendar integration. We started with Outlook. Most of our um, customers were looking at our larger organizations because the more complexity you have in your business, the more people, the more meetings you have. It's a bigger problem. And more enterprises use Outlook. So we know we need to have a Google Calendar integration before we'll get those customers to pay. So we have a list of things like that that we're working towards. And once we get to that point and we launch, we'll switch from $5 per person per month to $10 per person per month. Uh, And it's fascinating because I hear from people, some who say, oh my gosh, $5, like you're so underpriced. That's like nothing. If I save one hour in my meetings, you know, over the course of a month, that's way more than $5 of my time. And I hear other people who say $5, really? (laughs) Like, like, why isn't this just free and then charge for a premium version? Like it, we're just it's so amazing to me how uh, how SaaS pricing works. <laughs> all the all this talk of uh, testing and iterating brings me to my last question, uh, which is, uh, what what are the most important takeaways from the lean startup method for you, Mamie? 
the most important thing, and it's the thing that I still have to remind myself, and luckily I have teammates who remind me too, is that it's better to push out something skinny. It's better to push something out, even if it doesn't feel 100%, because the feedback you're going to get from real customers is way better and more real and more important than any research you could do. And especially when the, uh, the ability to push it out is not so challenging, just just do it. I mean, I feel like I have this, this internal debate all the time and I keep reminding myself, just, you know, create a hypothesis, you know, put something out there, get real feedback and then, you know, figure out what to do next. And, uh, and I, it goes against my natural desire to have perfection, <laughs> but it works, but it really, really works. Yep. They might call your baby ugly, but at the end of the day, you're going to learn a lot and bring back something even better. Absolutely. And you might be really surprised. I'm often surprised by what I see versus what other people see. And I think this, this is also when you're so close to something, you see all of its flaws and other people don't. Other people just see the value that they're getting. And of course, they, they're going to want it to be better in so many ways, but they don't see everything that's missing because they're not thinking at, about it from the same perspective. Well, Mamie, thank you so much for being here today to talk about Meteor with us. Um, We look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. It was my pleasure. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. That's all the time we have for today. I'm Heather McGough from Lean Startup Company. Our team looks forward to having you join us for upcoming podcasts and webcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Lean Startup or visit leanstartup.co for more information about our training program or events.